0: Blog Talk Radio. The following program is brought to you by Firefly Willows L I V E. You're listening to What's Your Prescription for Balance with host Dr. Glenna Calder on Firefly Willows L I V E. Find out more at facebook.com slash pages slash what's your prescription for balance. Enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to Watch Your Prescription for Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Glenna Calder in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Today we have a special returning guest with us. She has been one of my first guests on Watch Your Prescription for Balance and an important part of the team of experts we have on the show. Please welcome Coralie Murphy, a registered massage therapist, and founder of Journey Alive, a program developed to improve the knowledge and health of those who join. Hi, Carly. Are you there? I'm here, Glenna. Great. Thanks again for being on the show tonight. I know you have probably had a busy week because you always do, and I just want to thank you for taking the time out this evening to speak about this extremely important topic.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me, Glenna. Anytime I have an opportunity to speak about something that's so vitally important to our overall health and well-being, I'm more than happy to show
1: up. So, again, thank you so much for having me. I'm personally really excited to speak um, and to discuss this with you, this topic, about The area we're going to touch on is the shikimate pathway and how it relates to our overall health. And so I would first like to hear you talk about the importance of our gut bacteria and how it affects our health. Okay. That's a great place to start, Lena.
2: Um, Our gut bacteria, what I like to call our microbiome, it's extremely important in our overall health and well being. First of all, our GI systems are really the first interface that we have with the outside world. They basically see and process the food and all the toxins that are basically coming into our system. And it's made up of both our what we call our friendly and our pathogenic bacteria. So we have good bacteria and bad bacteria living in a state of balance. Unfortunately, for the most part today in our you know, our our, our culture, we don't see balance in the microbiome. We are we see more of a state of dysbiosis. Um, our friendly bacteria play a very important role in both our digestive health and our immune health, as you know as a naturopathic doctor. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that our gut bacteria actually outnumber our own cells by a ratio of 10 to 1. And we actually play host to about 4.5 pounds of gut bacteria. So that's a lot of bacteria happening in our in our system. And you know there are definitely some a lot of benefits of, of, of having a healthy microbiome. Uh, first and foremost, they like I said they play an intricate role in our overall immunity as adults through the gut-associated lymphoid tissue, or what we call GALT in alternative health and conventional health. Um, they provide important nutrients for the building of blood. They detoxify xenobiotics, and a xenobiotic is basically a chemical substance that is foreign to an organism they assist in digestive processes Um, they help protect the integrity of the intestinal mucosa which is important because that speaks to the gastrointestinal systems permeability what's going to be allowed into the blood and what will stay in the gastrointestinal system for passage out of the body and they contribute to bowel elimination and very importantly they synthesize important vitamins such as vitamin K and B vitamins and are actually the most abundant source of vitamin B12 which in most, you know, cultures in North American society today, we're seeing a huge deficiency in vitamin B12. So this gut relationship is extremely important. The gut-bacterial relationship is very important with the synthesis of vitamin B12. So as we can see, uh, you know, they play a very important
1: in both digestion and health, our immune health. Wow, well, that was a great summary. I think, you I think you've hit every, every point About the beneficial uh, role of gut bacteria in our body. So today we're going to speak about the shikimate pathway, and I'd like to know if you could tell our listeners where it's found and the importance of the shikimate pathway with our health. Sure, no problem. The shikimate
2: pathway it's actually a metabolic pathway that's utilized by bacteria, fungi, and plants. To synthesize what we call aromatic amino acids. And aromatic basically just means the formation of the amino acids. The actual physical structure, meaning they're in a, the carbon chains are circular. And these amino acids are basically phenylalanine, tyrosine, and tryptophan. And these are three essential amino acids for us as humans because we need them, we need to acquire them through an outside source. Our body cannot manufacture them. So again, these amino acids are considered to be essential to us. Now, the the important thing that we have to understand with regard to why this is important to humans is that our gut bacteria use the shikimate pathway to metabolize these important amino acids. Our cells um, that make up our our human genome, we don't have the shikimate pathway, but the gut bacteria that live within us, within our GI system, the four and a half pounds of gut bacteria we have, absolutely use the shikimate pathway. And when this pathway is disrupted the health of the microbiome or the health of the gastrointestinal system is severely compromised. And that's when you will start to see actually a lot of these Western diseases emerge. For example, you'll see diabetes, autism, depression, cancers, Crohn's, colitis, autoimmune disease, Alzheimer's, obesity, infertility. So this plays a huge part in in our overall health as a as an organism basically living in, in today's society.
1: So, Corley, would you say that if somebody had a dysbiosis in the gut or less healthy bacteria, they could, in fact, have less of these amino acids in their body? Oh, absolutely, for
2: sure, absolutely. Because, you know, they, again, if if the shikimate pathway is disrupted in the gut bacteria, we are not going to synthesize or metabolize these amino acids. And also, which uh, I believe we'll get into a little later in the show, it's about the food that we're eating as well and how their, their, the shikame pathway is affected and the plants that we're eating because, again, the shikimate pathway is present in not just our gut bacteria but fungi and plants, and that is part of our, our natural ecosystem as you know, as we are
1: interconnected with nature and the foods that we eat. I just thought of I had a patient yesterday, a young girl, a young lady, 19 years old, and as soon as I said the word bugs, she squirmed in her seat <laughs> and, and said, "You mean to tell me I'm full of bugs?" And I, so I, instead of using the word bugs and good bugs, I we agreed to call them probiotics because yes. she was shocked that she had a whole family, a whole village, a whole community of bugs living inside our bodies, which is really uh, makes and me you laugh. know, the
2: funny thing with that is we don't realize when we look at individuals, we just see a human structure. We see a human form, and we recognize that as being a person. And when you talk to a microbiologist or someone who is in health, we realize that there's so much more. We are just a community. Of cells and microorganisms living in a symbiotic relationship, where we enhance them and they enhance us,
1: mm. which is
2: a very foreign concept to the average everyday person that it just sees
1: themselves in the mirror as one single entity. <laughs> exactly, and we've been um, taught. I know I was maybe back in high school that we are cells, 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 but now we know yeah. there's way more, there's more bugs than there is cells in our body. Absolutely, ten to one. <laughs> mm, I know it's amazing. When did you first hear about the Shikimate pathway, Carly? You know, it's funny. The Shikimate pathway is
2: a is a something that has come up for me, obviously with the program that I'm running for the Journey Alive uh, sessions here in Sydney. But it's a pathway that I actually learned about in university when I was doing my science degree. I was taking a microbiology course and. That was really the first time I ever heard of this metabolic pathway. And, of course, at the time, being in university at, you know, 19 years old, it held absolutely no significance to me whatsoever. (laughs) It was one of those things that you heard, you regurgitated, and you passed the exam. So it really, it wasn't until much later when I started to understand the importance of our gut microbiome and its relationship to the outside world that this pathway actually become very important to me. And I really started to dig into, you know, why this is important and why our gut health is really, you know, the basis and the fundamental space of where health and wellness is, is founded. Uh, I think we need a, a bit of a paradigm shift because we often say that disease happens in the gut. And I like to challenge people to say health happens in the gut. It's a it's a bit of a shift in the paradigm instead of looking at it as a disease uh, a birthplace
1: for disease, it's the birthplace for health and wellness as well. Beautiful. You made me think about how we really should be um, trying to change that paradigm instead of thinking, oh, I'm sick, oh, let's kill those bad bugs, instead of yeah. every, in between those infections and that we are all will get from time to time and during those infections, oh, how can I build and support the microbes in my gut
2: Oh, for sure it's I think that basically when you are looking at your life from day to day, we're not necessarily aware of the choices that we're making and how that's affecting our our microbiome our gut health and you know I think really it's about taking a closer look at the choices that we're making and seeing if we're adding to that or if we're taking away from that
1: so Corley why are genetically modified foods so harmful to, to our health and are they connected in any way with this pathway? Oh, genetically modified foods. Now, this, is a,
2: this can be a very lengthy answer for me because we get into, again, the <laughs> chicken pathway and uh, glyphosate and all of those things. So I basically, I think I'll start answering this from the perspective of why genetically modified foods are harmful for, to us. And that's basically going to, for a host of reasons. I think first and foremost is the fact that our bodies do not recognize these foods as being natural. They are genetically modified, their genome has been genetic, has been altered. So, first and foremost, our bodies really don't know what to do with these foods because they are in an unnatural state. Typically, they're also nutritionally deficient when they're compared to their organic counterparts so for example if you have an organic apple and a conventionally grown apple that is genetically modified you will see a difference in the micro macronutrient profile of both of those when compared in a in a nutritional lab Um, as well you have to look at how these genetically modified foods are actually being genetically modified and a lot of times the the laboratories that are, are doing this kind of work are using viruses to change the genetic manifesto of the plant, which, you know, carries a host of ethical and uh, concerns and and, um, and things that I think really need to be looked into further. And I think the last one is the fact that they carry high levels of glyphosate. And this is the one I think that I'd like to talk about a little bit more today, because glyphosate is the active ingredient used in most herbicides today, particularly in what most people are familiar with is the is the herbicide Roundup. So the active ingredient is glyphosate, and there are three there are basically three principal effects of glyphosate uh, for us as human beings. The first one is the fact that it disrupts the shikimate pathway, uh, which is essential. Uh, which is an essential metabolic pathway used by our gut bacteria, but also the pathway used in the weeds, and that's why they essentially put glyphosate in the Roundup, so that they could kill the weeds. And they use different adjuvants that actually make the glyphosate penetrate into the cells of the plants even stronger. And unfortunately, it not only affects the plants or the weeds, but it also affects the genetically modified food that we're actually eating, so that's a really important that's a really important thing that we have to look at. And the glyphosate is preferential to our beneficial bacteria, so it, it disrupts the beneficial bacteria even more than our bad bacteria. The second principal effect is the fact that it interferes with what we call cytochrome P450 enzymes or CYP450 enzymes. And they basically are are enzymes that are are found in the body that detoxify the toxins, okay, or the xenobiotics, and they play a major role in the liver. And there's a few things that we need to know about CYP450 enzymes, and it's the fact that they are responsible for a host of things that are very important in metabolic functioning of the body, the first being the activation of vitamin D. They play a, a, a crucial role in cholesterol homeostasis. They play a role in manufacturing of bile salts, or sorry, bile acids, and the digestion of fats, and of course that's really important because we see a lot of issues with that today. And they also play a role in our sex hormones, and that's through the enzyme aromatase, which converts testosterone into estrogen. And third and fourth, or third and lastly, I should say, is the depletion of micronutrients. And, of course, our micronutrients are vitamins, minerals, and phytochemicals. But glyphosate has a particular affinity to chelate our plus-two cations, so things like potassium, calcium, magnesium, zinc, iron, and cobalt. So, you know, when you look at these three principal effects, one has to really be very serious when they look at the effects of genetically modified food. And when you go back to the Shikame pathway, just for a second, we, we said that the shikimate pathway was responsible for the manufacturing of aromatic amino acids, particularly tryptophan, tyrosine, and phenylalanine. And what we have to also understand today is that tryptophan is a precursor to serotonin, and tyrosine is a precursor for dopamine. And serotonin and dopamine, they are feel-good hormones. And if you look at the rise of depression, anxiety-related disorders, you have to begin to wonder if there's a strong link between these genetically modified organisms and those
1: conditions. Excellent job of explaining the connection with genetically modified food and how these mineral deficiencies can lead to chronic illnesses and how genetically modified foods are linked with hormonal imbalances in men and women. And we see a lot Absolutely. of this in a practice with... Um, with polycystic ovarian syndrome, for um, premenstrual syndrome, with um, testosterone imbalances in men now. Mm-hmm. So that's really interesting as you've connected all those, and as you mentioned, the serotonin and dopamine imbalances, which is connected with depression, anxiety, and is not going to help people um, that are dealing with those conditions and also are dealing with, with stress in general. So thank you for that. Why do you think, Corley, genetically modified foods are so harmful to our environment? Oh,
2: great question. First of all, inherent with genetically modified organisms is is chemical, the word chemical, because oftentimes it's like they're like a match made in heaven. You don't have one without the other because genetically modified foods are actually genetically modified to resist the chemical pesticides that are being sprayed on them.
0: So inherent is the
2: toxicity from the chemical pesticides and herbicides commonly found with them and inherent to these plants. And part of that, of course, is they too carry glyphosate and the adjuvants that are used to push the glyphosate further into the cell. And that's really important. And not only that is you have the toxicity because of the chemical counterparts, but also the toxicity to the non-target organisms, such as bees, um, the butterflies. You'll see a, a huge, um, we're seeing huge disruptions in monarch butterfly populations, and it's, due to, it's linked to genetically modified maize corn, uh, as well as birds. So these non-target organisms are being directly affected by GMOs, As well, you have to wonder about the long-term effects and how the uncertainty, the uncertainty surrounding the long-term effects, because these chemicals won't always be effective due to the adaptation of the pests they target, but their toxic legacies will remain in the environment. And we just do not know the long-term effects that these genetically modified organisms and their chemical counterparts will have in the ecosystems as we move forward in time. Also, we have to look at uh, the issues surrounding invasive species because you know they have the potential for these new modified plants to become invasive and delicate in natural ecosystems because as they become more genetically modified and they start to spread through cross-contamination, they are spreading into areas that are delicately balanced and and tend to be very invasive in those delicate ecosystems. And then, of course, you have to look at the risk of, of biodiversity as well. And because uh, genetically modified crops are planted, when they're planted, they're generally planted in a monocrop fashion. So many heritage seeds are no longer even being used today. So, and the nature of GMOs as well means that there's fewer weeds, which will flower, and therefore there's less nectar for pollinators like bees, and then you also have to look at the toxins being released into the soils through the plants root systems and when you have toxins being released through these root systems it's going to basically mean fewer soil bacteria and soil bacteria is an integral part of of health soil health for the plants that they're trying to support so i think at the end of the day what we're looking at is the way we interact with nature as human beings can really cause a complex array of consequences and oftentimes ones that are far beyond our, our consciousness at the moment of of choosing to plant these things.
1: Carly, before we take a break, I have one more question. Do you feel that it's our responsibility because of the effects that you've just mentioned to the environment, to other species, and to our generations um, that are coming in the future? Is it our responsibility? to know what we're eating, and to really think and make a conscious decision about genetically modified food. Oh,
2: absolutely. I think, you know, as a collective, we often, or as an individual, we don't often think that we have a lot of power because you look at agribusiness and, and you know, companies like Monsanto that are basically uh, at the helm of a lot of these genetically modified organisms. And we, we, we feel a bit powerless. But what we have to understand that as a collective, we have an enormous amount of power, and that essentially every time you're spending money at the grocery store, you're getting a vote, and it matters. It matters. If you no longer purchase genetically modified organisms or or genetically modified products, then after a while they're not going to make money, and business at the end of the day is about money. It's about the bottom line. So every time you walk up, and you're making your grocery store checkout uh, experience count, you have to really look at what's in
1: your cart. Mm. I think you're right, and I, I agree with you 100%. So now I'm going to um, just play an advertisement so listeners can get up, have a drink of water, um, or stretch for a minute. So we'll be back on Watch Your Prescription for Balance with your host, Dr. Glenna Calder, and our special guest this evening, Coralie
0: Murphy. Join Mildred Lynn McDonald for a fascinating tour of the Mind-Body-Spirit Connection. Enjoy nourishing conversations, thought-provoking guests, personal growth tools, compassionate guidance, practical tips, plus a generous sprinkling of East Coast humor and warmth. You'll also love our popular roundtable discussions. Featuring Deb Carosella, Heisey Lutmers, John Carousella, and Mildred Lynn. Airs the first Sunday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. For more information, please go to HealingConversationsWithMildredLynn.com.
1: Welcome back to Watch Your Prescription for Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Glenna Calder, and we have a special returning guest this evening, Coralie Murphy from Sydney, Nova Scotia, registered massage therapist, and founder of Journey Alive. And this evening we're speaking about genetically modified food, the chicken-made pathway, and gut bacteria, and how all of those are connected with our health. Are you there, Coralie? I'm here. Great. Great. So I've got some more questions that I'd love to discuss with you um, for our listeners. How do you think, Corley, in your opinion, genetically modified foods are affecting the evolution and our health as a whole?
2: Good question. Um, I think we have to take a look, first of all, at the makeup of our gut bacteria. Uh, It is What most people don't realize is that our gut bacteria is like a fingerprint, and it is actually different from person to person. But they all fulfill the same biological function, which is interesting. So about a third of our gut, our gut flora, our gut bacteria, our gut microbiome, is common to most people, and two thirds of our gut flora is actually specific to each one of us. So the way we show up in the world is actually different, and the way our body, my body's reading the outside world, is different than the way your body's reading it because our through our gut bacteria, because they're different. But essentially, biologically, they're fulfilling the same role. And we have to really start to look at the symbiotic relationship that we share with these organisms or these species that live within us. And if we basically change the DNA of these organisms, we are essentially changing the way that we are interacting with them on a biological level. And then that essentially changes the way we will express both genotypically and phenotypically. So it will change our phenotypical expression, our gene Expression. When you take a look at, at uh, for example, Roundup Ready genetically modified corn uh, with a formaldehyde content in excess of 200 parts per million, formaldehyde destroys our DNA and it's strongly linked to cancer. And so, of course, that is absolutely going to change our genetic manifest. Our DNA, if her DNA is being destroyed. In addition, we have toxic phenols that are being produced by the gut bacteria when the shikimate pathway is disrupted, and this most definitely impacts our DNA as well as our fat integration into the cell membrane. So again, another little example of of, of how these things are, are extremely important. And as well, bacteria can break down glyphosate. Uh, they do have the ability to do that, but they give off ammonia in that process. And if you look at uh, conditions like autism and Alzheimer's and their blood chemistry, ammonia is actually increased in both of these conditions. So I think, you know, we are an adaptable species, and our bodies are, are made to adapt to the chemical world that we're that we're in. And unfortunately, I think that as a human species, we're in a bit of a transitional space right now because we are unfortunately i think behind the eight ball because we're seeing so many disease patterns because of the choices that we're making but at the same time there are people that are thriving in the face of it so you know what are they doing essentially that is uh, is working for them and what aren't the other people doing that are you know riddled with disease so we're adaptable but that ad- that ad- that adaptation doesn't happen quickly
1: mm-hmm. So what does the future of food look like from your perspective, Carly? Well,
2: even though we talked about a lot of things that are more, I think, on the downward spiral, I actually think that the worst is behind us, Glenna. I I truly do. Um, Maybe that's my positive, you know, kind of personality, but I think there really is a grassroots movement that is catching on faster than the legislative structures and the regulating bodies that govern us. So people are paying attention Um, Because of shows like yours, for example, and programs like mine, I think uh, social media has served us well in that regard. Information is at at our fingertips. And we really have an unlimited amount of resource with regards to information. It's a matter of if we want to access it or not. So I think the future of food actually um, is brighter and I think the worst is actually behind us because people are acquiring the knowledge. There's only so much time that you can sit in the seat of of illness before you say, okay, enough is enough, and I need to,
1: to look at moving forward. Great points, Carly, because I think it's wonderful the access people have to social media now. So most of us can find the information and take that first step into becoming healthier or finding some answers as to why we are acidic or we're inflamed. So I agree, social media has been a very positive thing. Why do you think genetically modified foods are allowed? Well, isn't that the million-dollar question?
0: <laughs> <laughs> because you think questions? with
2: all the information out there about them, why in the world would they be allowed? And that is an excellent question because, you know, when I was doing a little bit of research long ago when GMOs first came out on the scene and I was looking at a a statement that the World Health Organization put out and the World Health Organization defines them as organisms whose DNA have been altered in a non-natural way. And to me it's, it's like, really? You know, we're saying they're not natural, yet they're approved for human consumption. And we know that our bodies do not do well with things that it doesn't recognize. So uh, the other thing, you know, the glaring fact is the fact that they're not being altered to increase the nutritional profile. They're being altered in ways that make them insect-resistant, virus-resistant, and herbicide-tolerant. So really the benefit isn't for the human consuming them, it's for the companies manufacturing them. So Unfortunately, I think with this particular question, we're looking at money. Money talks, and it's about the bottom line.
1: So that statement should say the definition of genetically modified food, say it's altered. They're altered in an unnatural way to increase profit. Pretty much. Would you say that's correct? (laughs) I would say that's absolutely correct,
2: especially when you you look at the fact that they – do not hold the same nutritional value as their, you know, counterparts. So if you have two foods that are supposed to be the same, like I said, a genetically modified um, head of kale or a, conve- or a organic head of kale, I'm choosing the organic kale. It's not, it, it carries more nutrients. My body
1: knows what to do with it. Mm. So, Carly, would you say that there's one large contributor to the decrease in health that people are experiencing now and all the, the chronic illness that's increasing. Definitely. I think that
2: although we talk a lot about food and, and chemicals and there's a, a myriad of, of answers to this question that people would, could quickly go to, I think at the end of the day, it's the loss of connection that we have to ourselves Because when we connect with that deep part of us, we want to do better. And when we look at the bodies that we're in and the lifestyles that we are in, that is the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual manifestation of the choices that we are making. And when we become accountable to those choices, we essentially will make better choices because we hold a regard and a love for ourselves that surpasses anything that's external to us. So we could blame it on food and we could blame it on you know, a fractured medical system or a fractured government system, but at the end of the day, we all have a choice. So I think the largest contributing factor to the decrease in the health of of individuals today is that loss of connection we have with ourselves and the desire to do better because unfortunately we ha- we're on the hamster wheel of life, and there's there's not enough time in the day to get everything done, and we are pushed to the limits, and so convenience becomes our every day, and and when we live in a in a world of convenience, we're not really acting as accountable beings.
1: So, Carl, I'm going to answer you a question. What would you say to the parent who's working nine hours a day away from home for 10 hours and has three children, how can they, I guess, make it work so that they're giving their family high nutritious food?
2: The first question I would ask that person is why. Why are you spending all this time at work and where do your priorities lie? Because I think Life can be as simple or as complex as we make it. It can be a matter of using those dollars to buy the best foods on the planet, or using those dollars to buy name brand clothes or you know hun- homes worth thousands of dollars, or hundreds of thousands of dollars. I think we suffer from a bit of a value inversion syndrome, and if we really take it back to basics. And what we really need to do day to day, love our children, love ourselves, keep us healthy. Because if we don't have our health, we, we essentially do not have anything. And if we can bring ourselves back to that, I think things are simplified rather quickly. But if you're constantly trying to keep up, then it's almost like you're in a, in a cycle that you're never going to get ahead. So it's really about stepping outside of that and start really living by your own precedent, setting your own precedence, understanding what is important and unique in your life and that of your children so that you can feed them the most nutritious food and provide them with love and support because essentially that's what children want. They want your time. They want to know they're safe and secure and loved. And healthy children are happy children. So, my energy, my time and energy would be, I would think, would be better spent supporting that endeavor than working a you know a sixty-hour work week and coming home so mentally and physically exhausted that you cannot essentially provide a healthy and happy home for your
1: children. Mm, excellent. I think I want to. Well, I want to say thank you for simplifying. Um, this chikame pathway, which can be very, um, it can be complicated when you break it down, or genetically modified food, because I know that it's easy for us to detach from genetically modified food and that label and that term, because Mm -hmm. once you learn about that, you become aware of it, and it's really hard to shut that knowledge off or to pretend that that knowledge isn't inside. And I think many people don't feel like genetically modified food. Are affecting us. So you, I want to thank you for summarizing that and sharing that knowledge with us. And I'm going to no give problem. you, I'm going to give the list, I'm going to give the listeners a little, a short break, and we're going to take the knowledge that we've just gone through, and I'm going to ask um, you some questions about the practicality of making some changes in our in our diets and the way we look at food.
0: Excellent. Join the revolution. Ready for something revolutionary? Ready to change, grow, and evolve? Revolution with High C offers interviews with revolutionary guests that can revolutionize how you think, how you live, and what you do. Methods and processes for bringing a bit of magic into your life. Your monthly astrological update. Plus, monthly tips for living well and being healthy in body, mind, and spirit. And our popular call-in segment, offering on-air readings. Change, grow, evolve, and revolutionize your life and the world. Join the revolution.
1: Welcome back to Watch Your Prescription for Balance. This is your host, Dr. Glenna Calder, with our returning guest, Coralie Murphy, and we're speaking about the shikimate pathway, genetically modified food, and our gut bacteria, and how it connects with our health. So, Corey, I'd like to ask you, what are the most commonly foods that are genetically modified that our listeners can look out for? This is a very easy question. It's plastered everywhere.
2: Uh, corn, wheat, and soy, over 80% of the crops grown today are genetically modified. But in addition to that, they're uh, canola, sugar beets, alfalfa, these are the most common genetically modified foods. And the first three I mentioned, corn, wheat, and soy, are of particular interest because if you look at the, on a box and you look in the ingredient list, you will see one or a derivation of one of these in some form in pretty much every boxed or processed food. So these are foods that are heavily used in our world today and also heavily genetically modified.
1: Hmm. So, is it difficult to avoid genetically modified food?
2: Absolutely, and for a couple of reasons. Considering the fact that by law, genetically modified foods do not have to be labeled as genetically modified, um, but I'd like to point out as well that if you have a food that's labeled 100% organic, you know that it's not genetically modified, because they can't place a genetically modified organism under the label of 100% organic. So basically, they, can't, they don't have to label the food is genetically modified, but they can label it as 100% organic. So there's a way there of, of using that knowledge to your advantage. And as well, 70% of the foods on our grocery store shelves today have at least one genetically modified ingredient. So when you're shopping, you're doing your day-to-day grocery shopping, over 70%, of those foods have at least one genetically modified ingredient. So, you know, taking those two factors into consideration, I think it's extremely difficult today to avoid genetically modified foods, particularly if you're not aware of, of how these things affect you, or if you're not even looking for it. Or many people will see GMO on a package and not even know what that
1: means or the significance that that carries. So we in your program during the live if you're speaking with a group of people in Sydney and they're saying you know it's really hard to get organic foods, what's your answer to that?
2: I, I typically will tell them to go to the market because oftentimes local markets, it's, it's extremely expensive for um, producers and farmers to get organic license or, or go through the organic licensing process but that doesn't mean their product isn't organic. It means that they couldn't legally label it organic. So I often say to people around, you know, there's a lot of local markets today. They're kind of on the rise again. It's nice to see their comeback. And ask, ask them. Many of them will be more than happy to share the fact that they don't use chemicals. They don't use herbicides, pesticides, insecticides, larvicides, herbicides, but they can't label it as such because they haven't gone through the proper legislation. So that's a really nice place to start. And oftentimes because they haven't gone through the, the regulation or the regulating body to, to have that licensing, it's actually a little bit cheaper. So I say visit your local markets. Do your best. You know, unfortunately, uh, especially in Canada with some of our northern communities, the, you know, the, the transportation... From where these foods are grown to the, to the grocery store shelves, it's a long way. So organic produce typically doesn't last as long. So many grocery store chains won't even put much energy into getting it in. So you can grow your own. Um, you can definitely increase your nutrient profile by things like even sprouting. Very simple. You can do it in your home without the use of any kind of chemicals, and really benefit from a, a whole host of, of nutrients for yourself and for your body. So there's many ways of getting around that. Explore the markets and really look at what you want to do for yourself in your own home.
1: So if you have a, if one of our listeners are sitting there and thinking they're on the fence to buy organic or not, they haven't bought anything organic yet because they're skeptical about skeptical about the label of organic. So they just don't know, is it it really that much better? Is it really organic? How do I know it's organic when it says organic? What would you say to them? I would say bias. Because even, you
2: know, in order for them to label it organic, it has to have gone through some protocol. And even if it has been cross-contaminated with a genetically modified crop, it is a whole lot better than buying the conventional genetically modified counterpart. So I say buy it and especially in a world where there's so many things that you cannot control with regards to our toxic load, food is the one thing that you have all the control of. So when this is in our hands, this is a ball that it sits directly and comfortably in our hands and I say you are literally putting a price on your health when you choose to buy organic.
1: Great. And do you have tips for our listeners, practical tips for them, when they're taking the first couple steps towards really learning about genetically modified food, trying to buy more organic, and trying to incorporate that into their lives without getting overwhelmed?
2: Yeah, there's a few things that I would like to throw out there for sure. Uh, First and foremost, for most people, it comes down to money. So I say, you know, use your grocery store money wisely uh, spend your food dollars wisely um, and look at what you're doing in the day-to-day if you're running through the Tim Hortons drive through for a double double and a breakfast sandwich because you haven't had time to prepare yourself a proper nutritious breakfast to start your day is that a wise area to to infuse that those dollars if you only have so many dollars for groceries is that really where you want to be spending them so like I said to you earlier it's about using the dollars to buy the best food on the planet, but it's a conscious decision to have to do that. So look at where you're you're putting your money, um, and especially if you're on a on a tight budget. And look at the things that you can do for yourself. Like I, like I mentioned earlier, you might want to look at doing some some pot gardens or boxed gardens. Or um, there's some pretty hardy vegetables that grow you know safely into the fall, like kale and. And, and sometimes even to the early winter. So you can have longer growth seasons if you protect these crops um, and you're more mindful of, of what you're doing. Sprouting is another great way, uh, which you can do yourself at home. So it's like little do-it-yourself projects, using your money wisely. Uh, also, I, like, I always say to the, the participants in my group, eat food that your body recognizes on a biological level, food that your body knows what to do with. When... These nutrients are linked to molecules that are recognized by the body. Your body knows what to do with them. It's not a challenge. And I often say to people, eat food that loves you. And this may look very different than the foods you love because we are chemically addicted because some of these foods bathe our brain in dopamine and it makes us feel good, like uh, the dairy and the meat and the sugar and the chocolate. You know, we have a dopamine release, and they're foods that we tend to gravitate to because we love them. We love them because they make us feel good. But it doesn't mean that that food actually loves us. So it's, again, switching the paradigm. Eat food that loves you, not necessarily food that you love. As well, I think it's important to put yourself in situations where you can increase your knowledge base with regards to health and wellness. Start learning about how to really take care of your body's needs. And more importantly, learn the signs of your body. Your, your body oftentimes will give you little whispers as opposed to screaming um, ailments of disease. So be more mindful of how your body's working and the inner workings of your system. And I think one of the most important things, particularly because we were talking about the, the gut and the microbiome, is to get fermented foods into your diet. And this is hugely important because by doing this, you can begin to change the health of your gut. And, you, and when you focus on that, you're focusing on cultivating a healthy internal landscape. And like I said, your internal landscape is so incredibly important because it is the window into the world. It's going to allow your body to make the choice on what's getting into your blood and nourishing your, your cells and your tissues and what's going to stay for elimination. So get fermented foods into your diet. They're just a plethora of good bacteria, and it's the best way to start reversing a state of gut
1: gut dysbiosis. Great. Those are motivating, very, very motivating steps, and that breaks it down to some simple steps. But I have one question. What do you think the gut bacteria say when they see a double-double Tim Hortons coffee coming down the tube? <laughs> I think they just, they go into
2: a coma.
0: <laughs> I don't
2: think they're saying much. I think if you were to, to to hear that language of translation, it would be, what in the world are you doing? <laughs> and we have to be very mindful, too. We, we have to be mindful, too, that, you know, when the gut barrier is open, and most people don't realize this, when the gut barrier is open, our brain barrier is open. So our gut and our brain are so... So connected. So when our gut is in a state of of alert, our brain is in a state of alert. So that's a really important connection because we have these neurological centers that are constantly in communication. And it all comes back to inflammation, deficiency, and toxicity.
1: So for our listeners, Coralie, what is the gut barrier?
2: Well, the gut barrier is basically the, the mucosal lining and the integrity of that mucosal lining, which the gut bacteria is a huge part of that. Huge part of that, because it maintains the integrity of that barrier. So the whole gastrointestinal system. So we're looking at everything from the minute it goes in through the esophagus and the mouth, the esophagus, the stomach, and all the intestines. And the other thing I'd like to add, too, is uh, when we look at children, what most people don't realize is that babies are born sterile; they're born without gut bacteria. And as they pass through the vaginal canal, the, the health of the mother's um, or microbiome is so important to what's going to happen with that infant as it passes through the birth canal, because that is its first interface with bacteria. So right away, you are establishing a precedent for your for your infant, for your baby. So for those that are pregnant or, or, you know, um, going to be delivering soon, think about that. Think about that. That's really important because you're establishing the gut bacteria, which is basically the the beginning of their digestion and their immune system. And then we wonder why we have, you know, sick children and children born with allergies and, and how does a child, an infant, display major skin conditions and allergies when they're just an infant, and we haven't seen this. It, it's rampant now, but it, you know, be in many years previous to this, it's, it, this is something that we've never seen. So, and I think it can definitely be played back to the state of the mother's
1: microbiome. And do you think there's a connection between the allergies we see today and the genetically modified food that we're consuming? Absolutely,
2: because, again, it goes back to the chemicals that these genetically modified foods have been sprayed with particularly the glyphosate. And then you look at all of the digestive disorders today. You have Crohn's and colitis and celiac disease and leaky gut. And glyphosate is a sulfate disruptor. It, it disrupts the transport and the synthesis of sulfate. And the gut, this, this barrier that we're talking about, is so tightly bound. It's, it's full of these tight junctions between the cells. It's, I always say it's like a zipper nothing gets through. It's just very tightly bound. And when you have a sulfate deficiency or a sulfate issue, a disruption in the sulfate, cells hold sulfate. And if you have a deficiency there, the cells will actually shrink. And when they shrink, of course, it creates gaps and spaces between the tight junctions of the cells that make up this gut, bag, this gut barrier, and of course, then you you have toxins being passed from the gut, which is still considered the outside world, into the blood, which is then in our inside world, and then our body's mount an immune response because they're foreign.
1: Hmm. And hence the leaky gut, and hence the leaky gut connection with inflammatory skin conditions. Absolutely. Great. Well Corley, thank you so much for coming on the show today and discussing this. You've got a gift of taking a complex topic and breaking it down into um, something that is easy to discuss, and you pri- prioritize the important points really, really well in a large um, area of, of an area like this, which is large and very in-depth. And I hope you will come back on our show. We are, you will be invited again. I love coming here with you, Glenna, and sharing this space with you. <laughs> Good. Absolutely and you're lovely. always so, so delighted to come back. Excellent. Okay, well, I'm going to close off now with a song called Yellow Coat by Mary Jane Lamond and Wendy McIsaac on their CD, CN. And I do think that's Gaelic. Um, if you could put up your hand, I could see you. I'd love it. But I think it's Gaelic for singing or to sing. And it's a beautiful song, so we're going to leave on that note. And thank you to our listeners tonight, and thank you, Coraline. Thank you so much, Glenda. And again, as always, congratulations
2: on the job well done and being a conduit for such important and valuable information.
1: Okay, thanks, Coraline.